and welcome to our first annual edition of the ACC football postseason uh, Zoom roundtable meeting. Today, I am joined by 15 guests from 15 different schools, and we will basically just be discussing some topics from this football season. We'll be having a coaches debate. We'll be having a first team all ACC running backs debate, kind of add some Notre Dame discussion in there about how we all feel about them being in the conference and whatnot. Um, we'll talk about the conference structure, whether we liked the no divisions this year, whether that could be a long-term solution. And um, yeah, that's basically what we'll do. Uh, it's Tuesday night. We just finished watching some ACC basketball. We had NC State pull out a three-point victory over North Carolina. Um, Louisville against Pitt just happened. Both teams very depleted, but Louisville pulled out a 10-point victory. But um, yeah, let's just get right into it. Everybody will start by introducing themselves. Um, we'll go in alphabetical order. The order is on the sheet. Just tell me your name, uh, your team, and you know what your affiliation is with the school, whether you're a writer, uh, whether you podcast for them, you know, you're just a super fan or whatever. So we'll start with uh, Kynes from Boston College. Yeah, so how's it going, y'all? I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name's Andrew. I go to BC. I have a podcast called Greenline Radio at Greenline Pod on Twitter. Uh, I started being a BC fan a couple years back when I got admitted. I'm a sophomore now. So I've just kind of fell in love with BC sports as uh, sad as they can be. I still come back for all the games, but that's my story. That's all I got. Go Eagles. Hey, guys. My name is Aaron. Uh, uh, I'm a... Clemson super fan. I, uh, I help run fifth, uh, fifth quarter Clemson. I also do some, uh, some podcasts around with other Clemson contributors, uh, just for the most part, born and raised Tiger fan, uh, my entire life. So, you know, as some might say, I wasn't a fan till 2014. Well, I was at that 2011 orange bowl. So I think I earned my stripes. Um, Noah, uh, I'm a Duke super fan, but I also write for them for a fifth quarter. Um, grew up in a Duke household. My dad's from Durham. So could have gone either way, but we stuck with the Blue Devils. Um, I'm just super excited to be here. And football is not really the forte, but I'll contribute as much as I can and probably we'll say our 1B sport. Hey, y'all. How's it going? I'm Aria Masuti. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I went to Florida State, grew up in Tallahassee. And uh, now I kind of do a little bit of everything, whether it's play-by-play -play for Learfield IMG, um, whether it's podcasting for some different sites like the Osceola, play-by-play -play on ESPN3 at Florida State. So I'm kind of all over the map. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on and uh, excited to talk some football. Hey, guys. Yeah, John Freeman here. Uh, just a big super fan of, of Georgia Tech football, uh, really Georgia Tech sports altogether. Um, I do have my own podcast, uh, not specifically to Georgia Tech, but to all, you know, really all football altogether, NFL college. Uh, it's called Unfinished Basement Sports. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here just to, you know, kick back, be able to talk football with you guys. Really excited. Go Jackets. John, that picture in the background. But um, <laughs> what's going on, everyone? I'm Dalton Pence, representing Louisville. Uh, born and raised here in the city. Graduated from Louisville back in uh, 2019. I serve as the recruiting expert for Cardinal Sports Zone and the state of Louisville, which is two blogging companies here. And uh, just ready to talk some football, although, you know, season's been a little disappointing. But at the end of the day, you know, 
at least we get to have it. Hey, y'all, how y'all doing? My name is Hayden Bannock. I'm actually from North Carolina, but um, I'm a huge Miami Hurricanes fan. I was actually a bat boy for the baseball team when I was in elementary and middle school, so that's my affiliation with the U. Hey, guys, it's Anthony Pagnata from the Heel Tough blog. I'm the uh, representative for uh, UNC, and uh, it's only fitting that I go after Hayden uh, after uh, the beatdown that we handed uh, Miami here recently, but uh, – yeah, I've been covering uh, I've been covering uh, Tar Heel sports uh, for probably about six or seven years now. Uh, believe it or not, even since uh, middle school, really got into it, um, and I've just been you know following through with it. Uh, I have a podcast that I've been running for the last three years, uh, covering the Tar Heels uh, just exclusively on the football side of things. I got a buddy that handles uh, everything on the basketball side of things, so I'm extremely excited uh, to be here tonight to talk a little bit of Tar Heel football and what's been their most successful season in uh, a long, long time. What's going on, guys? My name is James Henderson. I run Inside Pack Sports. I'm probably – it looks like I might be the old guy here. You know, I've been covering NC State for uh, 18 years now. So, yeah, I feel like I might be the old guy. But I've, I've been running – I ran a different website. I started up Pack Pride. When I was in college at NC State, I left in 2017 to start up Inside Pack Sports. So, we cover football, basketball, pretty much everything. So, anything NC State, you know, come and hit me up. What's up, guys? Nathan over here with uh, Notre Dame, kind of the outsider, I guess, to a certain extent in this uh, in this group. But uh, no, I mean, I've been covering Notre Dame since uh, probably about my, my college year, so five, six years now. Uh, grew up a Notre Dame fan, Catholic, family from the Midwest, so it's kind of a requirement in that, in that from that standpoint. But uh, started with uh, fan-sided and kind of worked my way up to Sports Illustrated, an Irish breakdown, and uh, right now I'm kind of just doing my own thing. I have a podcast called the Notre Dame Podcast. It's going to be named later, so we're still working on a name for that. But uh, uh, happy to be here and uh, talk some uh, ACC and Notre Dame football. So uh, I'm Jordan. I'm representing Pitt, uh, born and raised a Pitt fan. Uh, now I have my own podcast, uh, the Panthers Presence Podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pitt Presence. And that's about it. What's up, guys? My name's Ian Unsworth. I'm a sophomore at Syracuse. I work at WAER. I write and also do podcasts for Orange Fizz. And I'm the producer for the Locked On Syracuse podcast. And it was definitely not Syracuse's year in football. I can just say that right now. Got your one win against Georgia Tech. <laughs> Such a shame. Hey, everybody. I'm Zach for UVA. Uh, I'm a senior in high school. I've been born and raised UVA fan, uh, and I'm, I just got accepted to UVA, actually. Uh, and, I, and I write about UVA basketball, football, a bunch of other sports for Locker Room Access, which is this uh, – media outlet founded by two former UV basketball players. Uh, I've been doing that for about a, about two years now uh, and also contri contribute to some of their podcasts. So uh, really excited to be on. Congrats, by the way. Thank you. Big deal. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Um, I'm Carter from Virginia Tech. Um, I'm a senior in high school. I'll be attending Virginia Tech the next four years. Um, I currently write for fifth quarter covering Virginia Tech athletics and national college football and all that. And then I also host a podcast called Gobble Em Up. And then you can find that on Twitter all under like at FQ Virginia Tech or at fifth quarter Virginia Tech. You can find all that. So I'm excited to be here and talk some ACC football. Hey everyone, I'm Cam. I am a contributor to Bloggers So Deer, uh, which is the Wake Forest SB Nation 
uh, affiliate. I'm also a contributor to the Wake Forest 247 site. Um, been a Wake fan since 2014, got accepted there in 2014. I actually grew up a Georgia Tech fan from right outside of Atlanta. So I have a gluttony of, I have an, I have an affinity for pain for my, for my teams at least. Um, but yeah, I've been writing for uh, Wake, about Wake Forest sports um, as a recruiting expert for football since 2015. So excited to be here. Yeah, appreciate y'all coming on. Um, as you guys know, I'm Dan from ACC Content on Twitter. I also write a lot of ACC things for Fifth Quarter, and I am the co-host of the Just Means Less podcast for the ACC, which you could also find on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, um, yeah, let's just get right into it. Uh, I mean, the ACC had several surprises this year. Some of them were positive. Some of them were negative, as you guys mentioned. Um, you know, people like me who picked the preseason standings, we were right on a lot of accounts, but we were also wrong, and I'm not afraid to admit it. The biggest surprises probably in the positive direction were NC State and Boston College, which I expected the coach of the year for the ACC to come from one of those two schools, but it actually ended up being Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. So, um, yeah, we'll start with Nathan from Notre Dame. You want to have a little bit of a um, a take on why you think Kelly deserved to be the coach of the year, and then we'll get a rebuttal from our NC State and Boston College representatives. Gotcha. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, going into the ACC championship game, I mean, Notre Dame was 10-0 and was in first place, you know, for I guess for lack of a better word. But, uh, um, you know, first year in the conference, go 10-0, um, you know, albeit being during a COVID season and, um, you know, beating Clemson along the way and doing so. So, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a, a pretty legitimate argument on that end. Um, Really, the only way to, to go about it would be to if you wanted to give it to somebody else after after watching the ACC championship game um, with the with the crapshoot that was. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean I think anytime a, anytime a uh, you know a head coach or a team goes ten and zero in a conference, um, you know, and goes to the ACC championship game or the championship game, whatever conference they're in, then obviously they're going to be pretty deserving. Yeah, I think like the main thing you could argue also is that. Uh, the success of a team also relies on recruiting and recruiting is part of coaching. So the main product you put on the field and the team that you have is a direct, um, a direct attestment to how you are as a coach. But next we'll go to um, NC state. We have uh, James from inside pack sports. Yeah. You know, I thought it was, it should be Dave Dorn, to be honest with you. Um, you know, NC State came into this year without any real expectations. Won four games last season. Um, no quarterback, really, at all. Uh, Devin Leary played well early in the year. I think he played three games. He kind of had emerged as that guy. And then he goes down with an injury, and they find a way to win, I think, five out of their last six games or something along those lines, finish eight and three. You know, so for them to go eight and three and, and eight and two in ACC play, or excuse me, seven and well, seven and three in ACC play. Given their expectations, you know, I thought he deserved it. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure others may feel Brian Kelly, and I thought, you know, obviously Notre Dame that they were undefeated during the regular season. But I think how do you throw it back to Notre Dame and just say like, imagine if Ian Book played three games. I mean, would that would that impact things for Notre Dame? I think that's kind of the way NC State looks at it because they feel like they won a, they they won a lot of games with the backup quarterback. So, you know. Um, it seems you go back to last year, Scott Satterfield won it at seven and five based really off of expectations. I think, you know, he didn't have a great year. They went seven and five. Clemson was undefeated. 
So I kind of assumed Dave Dorn would win it just based on how things have played out history-wise. But, you know, Brian Kelly did a hell of a job. Notre Dame obviously uh, went undefeated. You know, it's really not a bad choice. Oh, yeah, for sure. Kynes from Boston College, you want to make a case? Yeah. Yeah, so like James said, I don't think there was really a bad choice. Like all three of the coaches were did a pretty phenomenal job this year, especially with COVID. And that's what I'll start with Halfley. I mean, I think we were one of the only college programs that have no positive cases. I think that is a really, really impressive thing to navigate. We didn't have one all year, no game cancellations. And then on the football side of things, I mean, going into the year, I mean, a lot of the betting sites and a lot of the main guys had us win in two games, maybe one game all season. I mean, our schedule was a gauntlet. We had to play Clemson, Notre Dame, and UNC all when it seemed like they were peaking. And then, of course, we had to play DJ and that collapsed. But that's a, another topic of conversation. But I think the way that Halfley was able to kind of create a new juice around the program that had been lacking in years prior with Adazio, I mean, he was a clown. And there was no juice around the program at all. No one really – no one was excited about the team. And then this year, for just about all 11 weeks, I think the entire student body was really, really amped. And BC got a, some respect in the city of Boston that needed a football fix this year because the Patriots were so bad. So I think, and then in recruiting wise, you talked about recruiting. It's our best class since 2006. Uh, I mean, we're top 30, which is like a huge deal for us. I mean, to a lot of the other schools in here, being top 30 is kind of disappointing. But for like little little BC up here and a massive sports market, I think it's a, a big deal. So that's my case. All right. Well, um, I mean. Yeah, does anybody else have any cases to make before I go on my little thing? Um, I mean, there are definitely some other candidates, but anybody else, you could chime in. Just say your name and who you are when you um, when you chime in. Yeah, hey, guys, it's uh, yeah. oh, uh, it's uh, Aaron with Clemson. Um, I would just kind of kind of go off of what James said with uh, with uh, um, NC State. I've been uh, I've been brought. Uh, I've been writing Clemson sports and uh, ACC sports for uh, the past five years now. And um, it, it's, it, it's kind of been a, a, a thing uh, over the past few years, NC state would kind of get a uh, little bit of preseason hype, but not live up to it. But this year it was kind of, it was kind of the opposite. Uh, didn't really have a great class coming in. Uh, no one was really expected to, 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 step up for the pack a, a lot of people um in, uh including myself kind of felt that maybe doran wasn't the actual uh guy for nc state but he just kind of came out with probably the most the most difficult uh situation possible with uh with covid with transfers with opt-outs and he and not only did he put up a winning season he uh put up he put up a a, a, a top 25 season and um I would kind of give my nod over to a uh, Doran at uh, NC State simply because um, they just this 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 was one of the rare years I had seen NC State excited to play football. You know the um, uh, their uh, their team was just electric. They were passionate. They were they were they were bought into the season. They uh, they really wanted to make a uh, a name for themselves and. And after starting off hot, getting cold, f finishing hot again, it's just with the up and downs of what has been this season, uh, I think uh, NC State handled it the best. And they uh, and uh, I kind of think uh, Doran should have been given the nod for uh, ACC Coach of the Year. Yeah, so um, 
I mean, I think what we could all agree on is that our group of coaches as a whole is much better than the conference was a few years ago. Um, I mean, there's a lot of exciting uh, newcomers. I mean, someone who is not mentioned on this list, of course, because his team did not have the best year, but Jeff Collins, I think he's still doing great things at Georgia Tech. So um, definitely, you know, there's coaches that are sustaining themselves and then there are new coaches coming in that are doing a great job building up their programs. But um, I mean, let's hey, move over. I wanted to ask you, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, isn't the official, the coaches, like, is that not been announced yet? Do you guys know that? Because I know no, the ACC teams came out today. I was just wondering about that. Yeah, it got leaked. It was the only – it's the first time in, I think, like, last, like, 17, 18 years that it got leaked to the, to the media. Oh, it's already out. So, the AP did not do the coach of the year. It's already out. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I didn't realize that was the case. But, anyway, shifting over to Notre Dame, I mean, obviously, you guys all know the story. Um, Notre Dame got temporary status in the ACC this season. And um, I mean, they ultimately ended up playing in the conference championship game. They went undefeated in regular season play. You guys all know the story, but um, let's ask our Notre Dame representative first. How did it feel to play in the ACC, Nathan? And um, like, would you be interested as a school, you know, staying in the ACC long-term? Do you think it's better the kind of um, way it is where for the most part you are out of the conference, but in this circumstance right now, in the COVID year, you had to join. Do you think that's better? I mean, I, I thought it was really cool just for the 2020 season uh, to kind of have that. I mean, obviously with, with everything going on, of course, obviously you want to be in a conference and be able to compete for, you know, for a championship and, uh, and play some better programs. And I think that was first and foremost, but, you know, being a Notre Dame fan growing up, always, you know, always having the, uh, you know, your kind of pick of the litter for your independent schedule and different things like that. Um, you know, it was kind of just a, a different, exciting, cool experience. However, you know, you can kind of throw up a bunch of different adjectives there. And, um, you know, and I think a lot of Notre Dame fans felt the same way. Um, you know, just kind of throw, throw something in there that was, um, you know, a little different. Um, moving forward, I, I, you know, I think I speak for most of the fan base and, and analysts being independent is, is a pretty cool thing as well. I mean, a lot of people are, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say jealous of it because that kind of sounds conceited to an extent. But um, yeah, but it's a it's a circumstance that I think a lot of programs would be in if they could. And um, you know, Notre Dame has a lot of you know long traditional rivals that you know they wouldn't necessarily be able to play on a regular basis if that if they did get into a conference, whether that be the ACC, the Big Ten, or wherever. So you know, keeping that. Um, you know, for me is important. I was actually pretty upset a few years back when they lost Purdue and Michigan State um, and even Michigan to maybe a lesser extent, um, you know, on a yearly basis. And so keeping USC, Navy, Stanford um, and programs like that on the schedule uh, yearly is, is pretty important to me. And I think for most of the fan base as well. Yeah. So it looks like we have a couple of um, non-Notre Dame fans looking to chime in. So I'll ask you guys how you kind of felt on the whole Notre Dame situation. We'll start with Noah from Duke. Uh, you know, I definitely think that it was a nice uh, change of pace for the ACC. I mean, for the past um, few years, there's been a lot of Clemson, 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 just just constantly taking that spot in the college football playoff. And so I think that it was a nice addition to the season. Um, I'm not sure if it's a permanent fix because while it does add some competition, um, the whole storylines about Notre Dame 
it kind of overshadowed the performances of some teams, like we said before, like Boston College and NC State, who had almost rejuvenating seasons for their programs. And yet you have all these storylines coming out about Notre Dame and the ACC, this and that. And so I think that, as I said before, while it did have some competition, I think it also provided some form of distraction from these teams who have been in the ACC for a longer period of time. Yeah, we'll go next to um, Carter from Virginia Tech. Yeah, I kind of had a quick answer. It may be kind of boring, but I mean, as far as money-wise, I was fine with it as long as each team got their fair share of TV money from it. You know, they got the NBC deal where their home games are, you know, they're all on NBC. So I would have had a problem with it if none of the other ACC schools got that TV money because they're kind of getting a free ride into a conference for a year. So you're kind of helping them out to get nothing in return. But since their schools were able to get the TV money, I think that helps a lot. And like he kind of talked about, you know, Notre Dame's a massive brand name in college football. And to be able to have them in the ACC, the ACC was pretty dang good this year at the top, at least. And it was, I mean, it was a lot deeper than some people thought it would potentially be. So to have them in there added some competition. And I just, I I don't, like he said, I don't know if I would permanently want them in, but I think it was definitely fun to have them in for this year. And I mean, the school's got their money. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, we'll go with a couple more. There's obviously a lot of people that want to chime in, but we definitely want to move this along because we have a lot to get to, but I will go with, um, I'll go with Dalton from Louisville. Do you have anything to say on this situation? Yeah, so um, I have a little bit of a different take. I understand, you know, the whole tradition behind Notre Dame being an independent program. I mean, they're one of college football's, you know, premier blue chip, blue collar programs throughout the history of the sport. Um, But I guess I'm in the possible minority that if you're able to reap the benefits of the ACC and other sports that you should have on, you know, not necessarily an obligation, but I think that, you know, being a part of the ACC and football wouldn't be necessarily the worst thing. And then, you know, for the conference as a whole, adding another program like Notre Dame into the mix, you know, like the program of Notre Dame, you get, I think that the benefits far outweigh the drawbacks. I think that not only do you bring in more revenue, but the better the competition, the better, you know, the conferences as a whole, you know, if you're scared of Notre Dame on the field, then you really have one option. That's to get better. Because, I mean, if you're scared of a team joining the conference, I mean, at the end of the day, somebody's got to take down Clemson. Why Why not it be your program? So you can't really have that mindset going in. But I do – I mean, I understand the points. But at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, you know the, the conference as a whole. And I think that if you're really reaping the benefits of, you know, basketball, women's basketball, all the other secondary sports that, you know, you should be able to, you know, be in the conference full time. So I'd like to see Notre Dame in. Full-time, I think that although they're not on Clemson's level yet in terms of competing, I think that uh, if there is a brand in the ACC that could go toe-to-toe with them, it would be the Irish. Yeah, we'll go last on this point to um, Hayden from Miami. We definitely have um, a bunch of people that could make their points on their next topic, which is why I'm kind of cutting this one a little bit short. But um, Hayden, do you have anything to say? So I have two cases. Um, First being – Notre Dame and the ACC brings in a lot more competition for football. You know, you got Virginia Tech, Carolina, Miami, Notre Dame, Clemson. Great competition. Um, brings in a lot of competition for women's basketball, um, which they've been in for a while now. Really good basketball program historically. However, my second case, um, what about Notre Dame is Atlantic or Coastal? I believe Notre Dame best fit is in the Big Ten. I believe they belong with Michigan, Ohio State, 
Mission State, Iowa, Wisconsin. I believe that for them, you know, geographically beautiful, um, football-wise, it brings in that rivalry with Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. Um, it makes the Big Ten a little bit more, you know, reliable. Um, gives them more benefit of the doubt instead of, you know, just Ohio State. Um, same thing with the ACC, though. You have just Clemson pretty much. Um, but if you add Notre Dame to the Big Ten, I feel like that'd be a pretty solid move for them. That's, I mean, a little bit out of the blue, but um, I guess, I mean, you never know what could happen. Um, but you did bring up a point about the alignment of the divisions, Atlantic or Coastal. I'll kind of skip to our um, question about the conference structure, and we'll go back to what we were supposed to talk about with the running backs. We'll go back to that later. But um, with the non-division alignment we had this year with Notre Dame in, and we just had 15 teams ranked one through 15 and the top two in terms of record would make the championship. Do we like that? I mean, I think Atlantic teams would probably favor that more than coastal teams, but um, I mean, it's, it's the most fair way, I guess, especially considering Clemson in terms of dominating the conference there they're pretty much going to not allow any other Atlantic team for the near future to have a chance to be in. So, um, I mean, what do we have to say about that? We'll start with John from Georgia tech followed by cam from wake. Yeah. You know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think you looked at, look at last year, the ACC championship was an undefeated Clemson team versus a eight and three or seven and three, seven and four Virginia team and then the year before was you know like a pit or two two years ago was pit you know yeah so I think when you when you get one division and the way you laid it out this year I I don't mind it I don't think it's ever going to go to this route moving forward um, but I I like the fact that you had the two top teams play in the conference championship and those two top teams figure out who's who's the winner I, I like that. I like the, you know, that scheme or the, the way that's set up. All right. We'll go next to um, Cam from Wake. Um, yeah. I mean, for my, for myself, it's also kind of selfish to want to kind of scrap divisions. Um, I'm tired of not, of not playing UNC except for once every four years in a non-conference game. That's weird. That, that should be some school like that in Tobacco Road should play each other every single year. It shouldn't be, I mean, there's also, we have like a, a lot of fun games. Like I love to play Georgia Tech couple, like once every couple of years. I'd love to play Miami once every couple of years. Like you get, you start, you start oversaturating these matchups. Like, yeah, I, I love playing BC every year. We love the rivalry. I love playing Syracuse. Always, always a weird, fun game. But sometimes I just want to play Virginia Tech this year. Sometimes I want to play Virginia. And I think that just those weird intriguing matchups that we won't really ever see unless a team dethrones Clemson, which right now they don't seem like they're going to. It really just feels like it adds a bit more of an intrigue to that. Yeah, and um, that's another good point about, like, the rivalries, the protected rivalries. It kind of has an imbalance. Like, think about how Georgia Tech has to play Clemson every single year, but not the other coastal teams have to do that. Um, but that it's just kind of an imbalance, and it's weird because some of the rivalries – I mean, the North Carolina schools, the protected rivalries make sense, but, like, Virginia and Louisville, I don't know. But um, next we'll go to we'll go to Anthony from UNC. Do you have anything to say on this situation? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I could not agree with Cam more. I think that, uh, you know, being able to play Wake and not having to schedule what is the weirdest at-a-conference game I think I've ever seen. I mean, the confusion amongst our fan base, the amount of people that had to ask me throughout the season so many different times, did this count as a conference game or did it not? Uh, just got really old after a while. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you also discuss what the topic that we just discussed, if you were to bring Notre Dame into the conference at that point, the best way to determine a conference champion would then be to go to the platform where you just have the top two teams going head to head, because if not, and you're still trying to keep divisions, one division is either going to be unbalanced or then you're going to have to welcome in another new team. We've all probably gone through that at some point when we were younger, when they were doing the conference realignment thing, where we were trying to figure out what well, would ECU work here would Houston work? We don't want to have to do that ever again. That's something that I just think we all kind of got, you know, we were messing around, but we don't want to actually have to seriously do that. Um, but I think it would be interesting. I think in terms of if you're looking at it for, you know, the possibility of getting a second team to the college football playoff, we don't think that Clemson is going to go anywhere anytime soon, which I think uh, is definitely something that most of us could probably agree on. And unless something shocking was to happen, if Dabo Sweeney was to go on to Alabama or something like like that, um, I think it would probably end up serving the conference best that if you want to get two teams into the college football playoff like you did this year, this would probably work a little bit better. Um, as, you know, a, a guy that covers the Tar Heels, uh, that might be something that, you know, keeping the, the Coastal Division would help us out. I don't really know, though, because I think that we saw this year that there really isn't a team from the Atlantic that we would say, okay, right now, would easily come in and dominate the coastal. There were some people that thought that would happen, but I don't think there's a team that, you know, towards the end of the Jameis Winston era at Florida state, you, you know, definitely thought, okay, it was them Clemson and then everybody else they played in the Atlantic. So it seemed a little unfair that a coastal team, like, you know, let's say Duke at the time that went to play them, Georgia tech that went and played them in the AC championship game, got the opportunity when clearly Florida state was the second best team. I don't think that's the case this time around where it seems like there is pretty good balance behind Clemson, uh, whether it's coastal or Atlantic. Yeah, we'll go to um, two more quickly on this topic. We'll start with um, James from, inside pack sports then we'll go to jordan from Pitt. yeah you know it's funny um because i just gave a case for dave dorn to win coach of the year right but i kind of feel like nc state was in the coastal this year because they didn't face clemson they didn't face notre dame and um i thought that contributed to their success to be honest with you and, and i think that's the argument a lot of atlantic teams will probably say is that yeah while you may not view it as you can go to the coastal and dominate I think you feel like everything's more up for grabs, right? Like if you go to the coastal, anybody in any given year can win that division. Um, whereas in the Atlantic right now with where Clemson at, it's just tougher. You know, I know NC State in, I think it was 2017, they had a shot. I think Clemson lost early that year to Syracuse when uh, I think Kelly Bryant got hurt and State went into that game leading the division against Clemson, lost by seven. But even then you're kind of saying, to win the Atlantic, you can only lose one game, right? Like, I think teams have won the Coastal with two or three losses uh, over the last six or seven years. And so I think it's more just a parity, say. And, and and like I think Cam mentioned earlier, the fact that, for instance, NC State, they face Duke, what, one, one every seven years now or six or seven years now in football, just doesn't make any sense. Um, I think scrap the divisions, set up balanced schedules where you're playing team every team at least every two or three years, 
and then just take the two top teams. Some years you're going to get Clemson, and if Notre Dame comes in great, some years you're going to get Clemson. Maybe that'll be an advantage. But then there's some years you you know that you don't face them, right? So I, I think that's the best way to go. But I'm not sure they'll really look to do that. You'll go last to Jordan from Pitt. Um, I mean, I couldn't agree with what you guys said more. I think when you look at um, really from a national perspective, the way the ACC is viewed by national reporters or people who may not follow the ACC as closely as we all do, the ACC a lot of the times viewed as Clemson and then everyone else. But I think if you eliminate those divisions, if you have every team, if you have your Atlantic teams not having to play Clemson every single year, your team in the Atlantic, you look at Clemson, you're like, oh, it's an automatic loss in the schedule. Also, if you're an Atlantic team, you have no shot at making the ACC championship. So if you're a fan of one of those teams, that kind of discounts that chance. And also, you don't really have this problem right now just because of the way the teams are balanced. But in a few years, if you have, say, a Florida State or a Boston College or a Louisville emerge as a team that's in the top 25 every year that could compete for that ACC championship every year, but they're not because they're behind Clemson. I think it really serves the league well to have, from a national branding perspective, have your two best teams playing in that ACC championship, regardless of division. All right. So, um, I mean, Aaron insists that he has a super good take on this one. So, um, Aaron, would you like to, Aaron from Clemson, would you like to um, finish this one off? I mean, yeah, uh, just um, going back to what uh, Jordan said, the, um, This is a take that not a lot of people like, but it's actually um, pretty accurate. The ACC built itself around Florida. You know, when uh, when, uh, the ACC brought in Miami, they put Miami in the coastal. They put the championship game in Florida. Why? Because they wanted Florida State, Miami every year. That is what the idea was. But when when Miami couldn't perform, it kind of went to the wayside. And like Jordan said, the... ACC, the ACC championship in, I think in the past eight years has been decided from, well, no, the past crap. Like I'd say this past decade, the past 10 years has been decided from Clemson or Florida state. Those have those have been the champions Clemson or or Florida state. And it just kind of does a significant injustice to certain teams, mostly on the, on the, Atlantic side because they, they they have to play Clemson and Florida State every year and um, you know uh, kind of going back I think uh, I think either Anthony or John said it back in um, t- two years ago Clemson played Pitt in the uh, ACC championship Pitt was six and six I went to that game and I uh, like I didn't take it seriously I was just like this is going to be this is this is a walkthrough and it was and um and that year, there was a ten and th- uh, a ten and two Syracuse team, a ten and two Syracuse team that I was scared of, a ten and two Syracuse team that, by all accounts, should have played for an ACC championship, but because they had a loss to Clemson, and they were in the ACC Atlantic, they they had no shot at getting in. So it kind of makes it to where you have the Coastal, which is a complete toss up, and you have the Atlantic, which is a a coin flip, which which is now just a double-sided coin that if you want the ACC to be a legitimate conference in, in in the eyes of so many other people to be on par with the SEC, which I believe it is, if not, I believe we have surpassed the, the uh, SEC and overall athletics. 
we have to do a big 10, a, a big 12 approach. We, we have to scrap divisions and just tell people to go at it because this year was fun. It, it, uh, it made every game important. I mean, we had three, four teams in the hunt for, for a ACC championship, ACC championship appearance till the last week. We haven't had that in over a decade. And it made it fun. It made it important. It made that Notre Dame UNC game important, you know, where Notre Dame could have just played, played backups. USA UNC could have gotten the win, but it wouldn't change anything. If you want the best out of the ACC and, and not just in a playoff standpoint, you got to scrap divisions and you have to give these teams like Louisville, Syracuse and NC state real chances to make the ACC championship, because that's what, that's what they were brought into the ACC to do to win championships. And they just are not given the shot because they're kind of stuck behind us in, in, in the football ranks. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a good point you bring up. Um, Kynes, I'm sorry. We, we got to move on because um, we definitely have a lot to get to, by the way, shout out to Kynes. Thank you for, um, he was actually the one Kynes from Boston college to bring the idea to me to do this. So thank you very much. Um, go check out his green line podcast. Um, I was actually had the privilege of being on that a couple of months ago. It's great, but let's move on to some running backs discussion. Um, today, earlier today, the all ACC teams were announced. I believe Travis Etienne and Michael Carter were the first team, all ACC running backs, but I mean, this conference is stacked when it comes to running backs. So there are definitely tons of players that you can make cases about for who could be on the first team, all ACC. Um, I mean, does anybody have any opinions on their particular guy that they should be first team all ACC? We'll start with um, Anthony. He was the first to raise his hand. I'm assuming that there's some bitterness about Javante Williams perhaps being snubbed. And um, I mean, maybe he, perhaps deserved it a little bit more over his own teammate? Yes, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I think that Michael Carter had a tremendous season. Um, it's it's going to be hard to leave a guy off in Carter who, you know, led the conference in rushing. That's usually always going to get you on there. But, I mean, you look at the numbers from Javante Williams overall. I mean, you had 1,140 yards on the ground. That's third in the conference. Uh, 7.3 yards per carry, third in the conference. Um, but the main thing that I think puts him over the top and I, I think is what has left a lot of people scratching their heads is that this guy did the main thing that you're supposed to do in the sport of football. You found the end zone. He found it 19 times on the ground, 22 times overall. And then, I mean, if you want to look at, you know, yards from scrimmage, I mean, his teammate Michael Carter finished ahead of him with 1,512 yards on the ground, but he was second in the conference with 1,445. So, you know, I think that's the the area where a lot of people take, you know, a, a little bit of an issue with Javante Williams being left off there. Not only with that, but also being left off of, you know, the Doak Walker finalist award list, um, Travis Etienne being on there. Um, but I mean, again, you know, this conference is just loaded. You know, this was, you know, when, you know, this was a topic that, you know, we were th thinking about discussing, you know, we were going through all the different names and we just could not believe the amount of different guys that are having great seasons, especially with, you know, the fact that you look at running games throughout, you know, the country, it's, it, it's more sexy at this point to be a team that throws the ball 40, 50, 60 times a game. 
most people don't like to run the ball as often as we saw some teams in the ACC do this year. But, man, it was fun watching all these guys this year. Everybody really had some fantastic arguments. But, you know, I just uh, – it's it's definitely one that uh, is going to leave us a little bit confused for a while as to how Javante Williams did not earn first-team All-ACC honors. Yeah. Um, next we'll go to Dalton from Louisville. Do you have anything to say about your guy, JV on Hawkins? Well, not necessarily about Hawkins. I think that if um, if, if Javion doesn't opt out, we might be able to have, have a conversation. Um, I just want to piggyback off of that last comment. I, I'm also – I understand a lot of it is name recognition. You know, Travis Etienne is one of the most dynamic running backs in the country. But um, if we're going purely off stats, which I know that a lot of it is narrative-based as well, but when you look at the big difference on stats, I think that you could also look at like a guy like Kyron Williams being – potentially in that in that first team selection as well just because if you factor in what he's done for this uh, Notre Dame offense along with the you know the I believe over 1100 yards and 12 touchdowns to top it so I mean honestly you know I I get the narrative base but I really think that the you know the people who voted on it really missed it so yeah so um you spoke about Kyron Williams uh do you want to bounce off of that Nathan from Notre Dame So I actually, I, I'm not, I don't think Williams necessarily deserved first team if you just go base it off a statistical standpoint. I mean, he was obviously really good this year, probably Notre Dame's best running back since Julius Jones, in my personal opinion, um, especially from an NFL draft perspective. Um, but I, I thought Javante Williams should have been first team for sure. I mean, I, ETN, probably the best running back in ACC history. Obviously, he has the, the accolades for that. Um, you know, there was, I think he went through like six games in a row of not even breaking a hundred yards rushing. I mean, I know a lot of that was probably opportunity based. Um, you know, there were some, some games in there where he only had, you know, 10, 11 carries, but that's part of it. I mean, it, it is a stat driven, uh, um, you know, award in my, or, you know, first team, second team, you know, third team, I think it's supposed to be stat driven more than, you know, who's going to be the first pick um, in the NFL draft or something like that. So, um, yeah, no, I thought Javante Williams really deserved it. And there, there were probably some other guys that, that, that should have been on that list as well. Yeah. Um, Max Carter from Virginia Tech, followed by Cam from Wake. Yeah, I'll go quick because I know we're trying to go through. But, I, you know, I would argue that both Michael Carter and Javante Williams should have been the, you know, the one and two on the first team at All-ACC. And obviously I saw that when Virginia Tech played them. I mean, can't, I, I can't remember the last time two running backs ran over Virginia Tech's defense like they did in that game. And, it was painful to watch, but I mean, they're, they're the real deal. I mean, when you see Javante Williams go, I mean, he's just a physical running back. Um, he's playing in the bowl game. Michael Carter isn't. I would argue that with having both of them on the team, it made them both better competition. You know, it, it made them a lot better. Obviously, Khalil Herbert, you know, I got to rep my guy, but he wasn't first team compared to those guys. Khalil Herbert came out of nowhere from Kansas, um, likely a draft pick now, but he's not in the same league as those two guys. And I, I, I just wanted to go ahead and add on a little bit to their case for first team ACC. Although Travis Etienne obviously is a is a elite running back, but you got to look at stats of her name brand sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, those are all good points you bring up. There was a time this year where Javante Williams, I think, had more. I think it was midway through the season, he had more three touchdown games than non three touchdown games, and that's that's including. Uh, that's including rushing and receiving, but um, we're going to get my man uh, Aria from Florida State involved a little bit. Let's talk about 
some of the coaches and, you know, maybe some of the negativity going along a little bit with coaches. Um, I mean, Mike Norvell obviously just got there and he didn't come into a great situation at all. But um, I mean, for sure, there's not the, he didn't have, I'd say the best start to his tenure. Do you have anything to speak on, you know, positively or negatively on your guy, Mike Norvell? Yeah, you know, I think uh, the one school everyone enjoys beating the most in the ACC is probably Florida State. And I think it's because, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, Florida State gave everyone hell for so many years that, you know, now no one cares. They see a garnet, you know, they see the gold helmet, they see the garnet uniform, and uh, no one feels bad when Florida State gets blown out by by really anyone in the ACC. I actually have a cousin who's a a Georgia Tech booster, and uh, he loves anytime Georgia Tech beats Florida State because for him – uh, it's personal. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure Clemson, let's be real. I mean, Dabo was looking up to Jimbo and Florida State for years before they got to where they are now. So they Clemson's essentially now what Florida State hoped to be under Jimbo. They hope to have a sustained run. Um, and, you know, from Jimbo's mistakes as a coach and his, his lack of recruiting uh, in areas that matter, um, that, that re- and then he dipped, of course. Uh, that hurt Florida State. So then they bring Willie Taggart in. Um, and Dan, I'm getting to my point about Mike Norvell. So they bring, they bring Taggart in, who uh, is having a, a decent year uh, at Oregon. But let's be real, he had Justin Herbert at quarterback. And once Herbert went down, they were not very good at Oregon. And so Florida State gets him. He's supposed to fix the recruiting. And he does. And, you know, he's, he's a guy who tries to come in and, and he brings some, a, a sense of swagger. And he relates to recruits well. And, and they're recruiting well. But he's really just not a great coach. And that was something that, that Florida State was in trouble already with a pretty soft program when Jimbo left it in the, in the state that it was in. Taggart did nothing to really fix the culture. And so now Norvell has to come in and fix two coaches' mistakes, right? And on top of that, you get the pandemic era. So he, he comes in and there's no spring ball. There's really no summer ball. He's got to try to install things over Zoom. And, you know, he gets here and, and kids are opting out on him left and right. He's already got pretty much no offensive line, thanks to the recruiting efforts uh, from the first two. He has no quarterback because Willie Taggart refused to sign a quarter or failed to sign a quarterback in the two years that he was the coach. Um, Sam Howell, uh, I know the Carolina fans are loving that. Sam Howell dipped and kind of ruined Florida State's chances of a quarterback. So Norvell was playing behind the eight ball. And I actually thought, and, and I know Anthony can't believe that Florida State beat Carolina this year because nobody can believe that Florida State beat Carolina this year. That was Mike Norvell's coaching. I mean, he schemed a special teams plan to exploit where UNC was awful in special teams. And what happened in that game, I had a buddy from Carolina ask me, how does Florida State beat Carolina? And I said, well, football has momentum and momentum swings. And Florida State took Carolina out of the game before it really even started. You had two block punts, you had a pick six, and Carolina's playing catch-up. And honestly, UNC probably should have won the game if, uh, if they catch the football uh, in the fourth quarter. So uh, that was – I thought this year Norvell showed me that he can coach in terms of an X's and O's. He showed me a staff that's actually pretty good. It's a, it's a decent coaching staff. He has to now recruit because, as Aaron knows, I mean, Clemson, Clemson has it on lockdown right now. And, and Manny Diaz, he is starting to recruit South Florida, which is where Jimbo Fisher really owned Miami, was, was winning South Florida. Um, and so, so you're having some problems here where Florida State hasn't had a chance to build relationships um, with these high schools because of the pandemic era. They haven't had kids to be able to come on campus. They haven't been able to do a lot of things. And so 
people are frustrated because we live in a we live in a very immediate you know culture 2020 20 this time this time of our our really our existence everything is now we want things fast we want things quickly florida state's in a long in a long rebuild and that that's something that i think florida state fans haven't accepted yet or if they you know they're starting to but i actually do think norvell is a really good coach and i think we're starting to see that um, he, he got a quarterback. We'll see if McKenzie Milton is, is a healthy quarterback to be able to play. Um, he's going to have a room there. Jordan Travis is a, is a pretty good football player. He's not a draft prospect, but he is a pretty good football player. And if you put him in with, you know, uh, McKenzie Milton and you have Chubba Purdy, who is still trying to learn the college game, uh, I think the quarterback issues could be, could be fixed. And as you guys all know, in this conference and in football, you're only going as far, far as your quarterback. I mean, if you have a quarterback – you will win seven games usually no matter what else you have uh, on your roster. And I think FSU right now is in mode where it's Juco and transfers. Manny Diaz has done a great job of that. I don't really think Miami's that good of a football team. I, I really think they did a good job of piecing together certain spots. Uh, they don't have Derek King. Miami's probably a, a six-win team. I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. Um, but Manny Diaz should get credit for that, right? I think he should get credit for piecing things together, um, not just on the defensive end at quarterback and at O-line. Uh, Florida State's in a, in a position right now where they're going to have to inch this thing back slowly. And it's, it's hard for fans to accept in, in, in Tallahassee because they're not used to this. They're not used to having to rebuild anything. And uh, even Bowden's final years, right? Bowden's final years, they were eight and four, seven and five, seven. And, again, they were not this bad. And uh, this is new to, to all Florida State fans. And um, I do think they have the right coach, though. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how long it actually does take. Because, uh, as Aaron said, as all of you have said, really, Clemson, Clemson's not going anywhere for a while. And they're in FSU's division. And it looks like Carolina and uh, it looks like Miami might be on their swing back up. NC State's playing really well right now. Other programs have good coaches. And so we'll see. Florida State can't dominate this conference, I don't think, anymore the way that they did uh, in the 90s, early 2000s, and then with Jimbo Fisher from 2010 to about 2014-15. So we'll see. Yeah, and you bring up a good point about, um, you know, the quarterbacks really carry the team. That's why Kenny Pickett returning to Pitt, and that's, like, going to be absolutely huge. I was planning on having Pitt perhaps be a below 500 team next year, and now with other defensive departures, and now Kenny Pickett's back. That's huge. Also with um, UNC, they have a bunch of offensive departures, but they have their their, their guy Sam Howell back, so they won't be any worse of a team. But – um. Yeah, let's let's get um Ian from Syracuse involved here. I mean, Dino Babers, he there's kind of mixed reviews on him. I mean, maybe he's hit a wall at Syracuse. We don't I mean, there obviously people have different opinions on this. Um, I think Syracuse recently went out and said Dino Babers is our guy, but do you have a particular case on this um on this situation? Well, yeah, I mean, it's been a quick fall from grace, to say the least. I mean, from a 10-win season to now a 1-10 and 10 win season for Dino. And yeah, you're right. He's staying around. He's got at least four years left on his deal. And right now, uh, the SU Athletic Director, John Wildhack, said it's a $17 million buyout. Uh, that's money Syracuse doesn't have. So this year, expectations were pretty darn low for Syracuse football, if we're being completely honest. But, I mean, I think Syracuse underperformed expectations, if that's, if that's at all possible. I mean, it was mainly because of injuries. Tom, like Starting quarterback Tommy DeVito goes out with a phantom leg injury that I, like, I still don't know much about. 
but he was out for the year. Uh, Syracuse's best player by far, Andre Sisco, who I think most people believe is a first round draft pick, uh, tears his ACL in a freak accident before uh, the Georgia Tech game in warmups. And then the second best player in the Syracuse secondary, Trill Williams, picks up multiple knocks in multiple weeks and then opts out. So though that really hurt Syracuse and it forced young players to step up in a lot of areas. And there were growing pains to say the least. The secondary's tackling was terrible. The offensive line struggled mightily week after week, but there also were, there were a couple positives. I mean, Garrett Williams, if anybody knows that name, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to educate you guys here because Syracuse football is kind of the bottom of the barrel this year, but Garrett Williams led the ACC in passes defended. He was really good for a redshirt freshman corner. Sean Tucker was the Syracuse offense as a true freshman running back. Mikkel Jones led the FBS in interceptions with four as a linebacker, well, led the FBS for linebackers in interceptions with four. And it seems like Dino makes his money off of finding maybe these under-recruited you know, diamond in the rough skill players and just developing the crap out of them, whether it's in the secondary or wide receivers or running backs, that's, that's where he's best. And it's also, it was his first year with new coordinators, Sterling Gilbert on the offensive end and Tony white on the defensive end with a new defense, the three, three, five. And at times it didn't look terrible, especially in the first couple of games against UNC and Pitt. And the other thing about Dino Babers, his teams always play best in the biggest games. Clemson, how the heck did Syracuse last three and a half quarters with Clemson? I have no idea. How the heck did Syracuse keep it close with Notre Dame? I have, I really have no idea, but, but they did. And that's got to speak to the coaching in some sort of way. And yes, Dino's kind of a cheese ball. He's got all his sayings. The Ohana means family stuff. It, it, I don't know. I get tired of it after a while, especially when you're losing and losing badly. But hey, there's hope for the future in Syracuse because the 2020, 2021 recruiting class is the best since 2008. And uh, we also got a transfer quarterback in Garrett Schrader from Mississippi State. And he threw for over 1,000 yards as a freshman, did not start every game. And he's kind of in that Eric Dungy mold. He can run a bit. He can throw a bit. He's a bigger body. Dino's going to stick around for at least two, three years. Syracuse can't get rid of him just yet. Yeah. By the way, I think I had um, Melifonmu on my first team, all ACC, just probably a very unpopular pick, but I believe that's who I put. So um, a little bit of Syracuse love right there, but I can respect that. I think Mikel Jones got snubbed. I think he absolutely got snubbed. Yeah, for sure. He was, I'm pretty sure he was on there too, but. Um, just an honorable mention, not even on a team. I, I think that's really yeah, tough. I'm talking look. about my personal ones because, but yeah, um, we're going to get to Zach from UVA. Um, you know, we'll, we have, we'll skip a little bit of what we were supposed to talk about. We'll get to um, the ACC commissioner and then we'll quickly do a debate about who's going to take the biggest jump to next year. That's how we'll finish it off. But first we'll have Zach, um, do you have anything to say about the coach's hot seat situation? Yeah, I'd just say, you know, I think Bronco Mendenhall probably isn't the, the first name to come up when you think of a coach on the hot seat. But, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's particularly after the, the tech loss, um, UVA fans and, and people are starting to look at that uh, and look at his, his situation a little bit. You know, his contract uh, ends in 2023 after 2023. Um, and I think it's, it's, critical for him to have good years his next two seasons. 
uh, because if you just look back at the last five years, you know, he's not above 500, uh, you know, that includes his two and 10 first year. But if, you know, even if you take that out of the equation, he's still only 28 and 22, one bowl win, one win over tech. Um, you know, these next two years are going to be really critical for him. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, if, if we beat tech, you know, if we beat tech, this is a different conversation, obviously coming off of uh, the season from last year, this, you know, the, to say this at this point last year would be, kind of ridiculous after winning the coastal making the orange bowl and beating tech. Um, but, but just the way things went this year, obviously they, they mostly went to expectations, but nothing spectacular. Uh, so I think people are just, you know, souring on him just a little bit. And, and if the next two years don't improve, especially with a, a really hot 2021 recruiting class, uh, you know, his heat, his seat rather is going to get, going to get hot. Yeah. All right. We'll move on to, um, Carter from Virginia Tech talking about Fuente, whose seat definitely is hot at this point. Obviously, Virginia Tech just went out and said they're keeping Fuente for the near future. But do you have anything to say about that whole situation? Obviously, there's the buyout and all that. But um, do you have anything to say about the whole Fuente situation? Yeah, so you touched on it. You said that uh, Whit Babcock, Virginia Tech's athletic director, had said Justin Fuente is coming back for a sixth season, which is very unpopular among the fan base. The buyout, reportedly, they have the money to do it at $10 million. Uh, and if you're really thinking about it, though, if they fire him after next year, the buyout money won't change because they won't wait till December 15th next year because the season likely won't be pushed back. But Virginia Tech, in my opinion, and I've told some people, is unrealistic expectation you. And um, now this year, the expectations were um, – understandably high I mean they had the talent this year to be very very good and he failed I mean they go five and six I could go either way with Justin Fuente um, with Babcock in his presser one of the quotes that was not very popular that I kind of see his side is not that it was year one for Justin Fuente but it was year one of his staff pretty much I mean you bring in a whole new complete a uh, completely different defensive staff I mean you got Charlie Wiles and Brian Mitchell good NC State make a difference there and with bud leaving now you bring in justin hamilton the new defensive coordinator you have a whole new defensive staff you don't have spring ball basically don't have fall ball with how many guys were out due to COVID at virginia tech so you're kind of losing a lot of time there i mean he was kind of learning on the fly which is not ideal but that's kind of how it was and i'm not saying COVID is an excuse or you're it's not your one for justin fuente that's not that's not what i'm saying but there definitely is some room there in my opinion to keep him in my opinion one of Justin Fuente's biggest mistakes when he got here because I mean if people tech fans need to remember Justin Fuente was very successful when he got here I mean we're 10-1 season win the coastal like I mean take Clemson down to the wire in the ACC championship game and then his second year I mean we got a camping world bowl lose a clunker to Oklahoma State in a top 20 matchup but his biggest mistake in my opinion and tech fans won't admit it when he got to Virginia Tech was keeping Bud Foster. And Bud Foster is a legendary defensive coordinator. He's beloved at Virginia Tech, but it didn't allow Justin Fuente to kind of get a, a, an early start of what he wanted to do defensively. If you notice, as soon as Bud left, he cleared out all of Bud's staff, pretty much, except for Justin Hamilton. I mean, and people, you know, they hold the streaks against Justin Fuente, the UVA streak, which, you know, when you beat someone 15 years in a row, the expectation is to continue to beat them and you lose to Virginia's best team they've had in 20 years that had a quarterback that, 
you know, arguably is one of the better ones in Virginia history and is a Virginia legend because of what he did against that in that game against Tech. You can't really hold the bowl streak against him, in my opinion, because, I mean, yeah, you're five and six this year, but the team made the decision to opt out of a bowl game. The streak ended because of a pandemic, not because of your performance on the field necessarily, although it wasn't very good. But likely you're headed to the military bowl, the Duke's, the Duke's Mayo Bowl or something like that if they had played. The one thing he's got to get better at, recruiting. I mean, Virginia Tech is lacking pretty poorly in recruiting, and it needs to get better because – Virginia Tech should not be recruiting the way they are. I mean, they were last in the ACC this past year, 2020. I believe right now they're 10th in the ACC. I'll have to check on that. I haven't really kept those much up with recruiting, but um, he's got to he's got to recruit the 757 better. Norfolk, Virginia Beach, Williamsburg, any Hampton Roads. He got to recruit Richmond better. This past class, a lot of his guys are from Tennessee and Georgia, which you don't see a lot of that. Their best recruit is DJ Harvey, who's from right outside Los Angeles, California. It's, I mean, yeah, he's good to have, but you're going to have to recruit Virginia better at some point. I mean, you got, you know, Dre Bly from North Carolina, who's coming into Virginia Beach and Norfolk and getting all these guys. You got Pitt coming into the 757 and getting all these guys and Naquan Brown, who I'm not as high on him necessarily, but they're coming in and get some pretty good guys out of the 757. He's got to recruit better. That's my biggest thing going forward, but Virginia Tech overall He's going to need to have, and I know I'm going on, but he needs to have a good start to the year next year. You're likely opened up with an ACC opponent on Labor Day. That's kind of what they've said. You go to West Virginia. You got to win both those games. Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente are now falling under the microscope of every single game is looked at. And Whit Babcock may be tying his job security to Justin Fuente. So the whole administration now is being looked at game by game, which you never want to be in that boat. So yeah, DJ Harvey's a stud. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him. But um, so next year, the expectation, you know, he's got to do well next year. I feel like my concern is I don't know if he has the talent to do as well as he needs to do next year. You lose a lot of guys off this team. I mean, they're going to have probably four or five draft picks, especially if James Mitchell leaves. And, I mean, who knows? I mean, they get a lot of guys come in from the transfer. We saw the transfer portal. We saw Khalil Herbert this year, Raheem Blackshear, um, Chinga Hodge, who didn't really get in the, mo the mold this year like they wanted to. But – they, they got some guys from the transfer portal that come in and are going to help out. So that's going to be interesting to see how these next few months unfold. But he's going to need to probably win eight games next year. And I don't think that's an unrealistic thing to say. That's fair. All right. Um, before we quickly, we'll have uh, our Wake Forest representative make one point on the commissioner situation. But first, let's get to um, Noah from Duke. Do you have anything to say about Cutcliffe and um, that whole situation, how he's perhaps hit a wall, but like, it's hard to win at Duke. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Duke has this situation where in both football and basketball, it's definitely not the same level, but you have two coaches who are basically tenured at their positions. I mean, when you think of Duke football, you think David Cutcliffe, and that's all there is. I mean, he has the whole reputation with the Mannings. Um, he's just been there for so much time. And I think that this year is not a good representation of what Duke football is. When you look at the history, six of the last nine years, they've been bowl eligible. They had 10 wins in 2014. They've had a nine-win season, two eight-win seasons in that stretch. And yes, this was a very down year, but I think that was also attributed to some things that didn't really go Duke's way. For instance, Chase Bryce didn't have the greatest year, 10 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, not even 2,200 passing yards. And you can look at it and say, yes, Duke had a bad offensive line, but when you have that much hype coming out of a program like Clemson, 
you expect a little bit better of a performance uh, than that. And now he's gone off to, I think it was Ole Miss. But um, you look at our running back, Deion Jackson. He had, didn't he have 650 uh, rushing yards? And yes, he didn't have that coming into the season, but you expect a little more from your, from your senior running back, someone who's supposed to be like the leader of your team. And so overall, I think that Cutcliffe, Duke football doesn't have that many expectations going into the season in general. They've never been the greatest at recruiting. Um, they have the flashes here and there. They get their draft picks here and there. But I think that Cutcliffe is kind of one of those coaches where he'll coach until he doesn't want to coach anymore. And if Duke can make some bowl games and, and, and win some games and get a little bit higher in the ACC in the process, then that's kind of just icing on the cake. But overall, I think that he has job security until he doesn't want it anymore. All right, that's fair. Um, you know, I, I think we're just going – I think we like this uh, coaching debate. So I'm going to get to um, – let's go to Kynes from um, Boston College before we get to uh, Nathan and uh, Cam. We'll talk a little bit about the Phillips situation, and then we'll wrap it up with um, John talking about Georgia Tech and how they could perhaps take the biggest jump from 2020 to 2021, the whole Collins situation. So – Let's start with Kynes. Um, I mean, Halfley's done a great job. Do you have anything to say? Elaborate oh, yeah. on him? For sure. Um, oh, I mean, this is kind of going on uh, about the uh, – can you all hear me good? Yeah, this is, this is kind of going on with the uh, whole, like, expectations for next year thing. I mean, I think for Halfley, a guy that got hired, like, a little le- less, than a, less than a year ago today, actually, um, I'm super, super excited to see – what he can do with a full spring practice, full, full slate of spring practice and summer ball, and to see what he can do recruiting when we can have people on campus. Because Massachusetts state law, like we weren't allowed to have recruits on campus or anything like that. So I think give him a full off season and give the players a full off season of getting the system, Signetti's new offensive coordinator, his new system in. I think we have a really, really bright future. And I think we can also take a massive jump next year. So that's all I'm going to say. All right. Um... So obviously, moving on to, we have an AC, new ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips, just got hired at a Northwestern. He was their athletics director, and um, I mean, it hasn't been big in terms of the main college, general college sports news, but definitely something that's going to be a factor in the ACC. Obviously, a lot of people like how he's not going to bring in a bias towards a particular school because he doesn't have close ties to anybody in particular so um I mean Cam from Wake Forest do you have anything to say about this whole situation about um Jim Phillips and how he could perhaps help the ACC um yeah I mean he's got a big task ahead of him uh, the biggest thing and the biggest kind of red flag that I had with him was back in 2014 when he basically just shut down the Northwestern Union uh the players tried to sort of union and he really shut it down but you can kind of see what the way that the name and image likeness uh, is going now with college football and college sports in general. We see a lot of, we see more companies like Open Doors putting their hands in uh, with a lot of teams. He's got to, he's got to take advantage of that. This can't be the conference that is left in the dust when it comes to making, we, we are honestly almost past the charade that is college football. That is called, these people are unpaid workers. Like we're kind of past that. Uh, he's got to be more open about that. Uh, if we want to continue to compete with the SEC, uh, compete with the Big Ten, with all these other conferences, 
we've got to be able to have a commissioner that is willing to open his arms to that kind of idea. Yeah. Um, Nathan, you want to chime in quickly? Yeah, real quick. I mean, it, more of a generic point. Um, I mean, Jim Phillips was at Notre Dame for a little bit. Um, you know, so I've, I, I've, I haven't personally met him obviously, but I know some people that, that know him really well. And, um, being from the Chicago area, uh, my dad graduated from Northwestern. And, uh, so he, you know, he has a lot of mutual respect for him as well, but, uh, just in the, in the college football world and also just the sports world in general, I know he's been up for a lot of jobs and there's bears fans out there that have been calling for him to be the, the president of operations for a lot of years. So, I think it's really just a, a good fit for the ACC in the sense that you, you can pretty much go coast to coast and there's going to be a lot of people that have a lot of, of respect for, for Jim Phillips. So again, not nothing too, you know, insane. I don't have a lot of like inside info on him or anything like that, but I, I just know that there's a lot of people that I know that, that know Jim personally that, that think he's a great fit pretty much anywhere he's going to go. Yeah. So the final topic I want to talk about, and we'll get, do this really briefly. I want to get a little bit into 2021. Um, I mean, think about the bottom half of the conference in particular. Who do you think will um, take the biggest jump into the next season? Um, we'll start with we'll start with John from Georgia Tech. Yeah. So um, you know, you guys stop stop me, cut me off if I if I kind of ramble on. But you know, yeah, I think everybody knew going into you know Collins coming in and transitioning from the triple option over to a new pro style NFL style offense, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think what he had to do, what Collins had to do was build a culture, build a foundation, build his team. And he's done an unbelievable job at that. Uh, I think what he's been able to do uh, coming in, embracing the 404, embracing Atlanta, trying to get some of the Atlanta Metro kids uh, to, to come and play for their home city uh, I think he's done an unbelievable job at that. And, you know, last year was, was a struggle. I think a lot of people kind of, you know, they, it was kind of cringeworthy watching some of the games that, that we played last year. Obviously we lost to the Citadel. Um, we were able to win, win some games, but it was just, you know, we, we were very inept on offense, which was very expected. Um, it, but, you know, defense was okay. Uh, we've never really had that great of a defense for, you know, the last 11 years under Paul Johnson. Um, but as Collins, you know, progresses his players, develops his players, gets his defensive scheme in there, we're, we are getting better on defense and we're, you know, creating more chaos is what, what Collins likes to say. Next year, um, I think, well, I'll start with this year. This year, you're you're looking at, we played so many true freshmen. You had Jeff Sims at, at, you know, true freshman quarterback, Jameer Gibbs, true freshman running back, true freshman right tackle at Jordan Williams, true freshman defensive end at Jared Ivey, true freshman defensive end at Kyle Kennard, uh, true freshman defensive tackle uh, as Aquilo Stone. I mean, you, you just name all the true freshmen and, and they're out there. And, you know, we, we look so much better on offense uh, this year we were able to move the ball. We were able to, to kind of sling the ball around a little bit. Um, you know, Gibbs is, you know, to me, he, he's the truth, man. Like Gibbs is, he, he's, he's that dude. Um, and he's going to be that dude. We, I'm, I'm only sad that I only get to see him play for two more seasons because he's definitely going to be in the pro in, in, in two more years. Uh, so, you know, that kind of sucks, but 
after that, um, everybody kind of looked at our recruiting class this year uh, and, and kind of saw it as a, as a disappointment. We're sitting on at rivals uh, right at 44th and um, yeah, no, we didn't get, you know, we didn't get a Gibbs type player, but we did get a lot of transfers uh, that are going to make immediate impact because I think Collins is looking at this next year as the year to win. Uh, I think a lot of the fans are looking at six wins, uh, you know, bowl eligible is, is kind of what we're looking at as far as a, you know, a majority of the fan base. And so, you know, we brought in a guy that, you know, was in the two deep at Texas as cornerback brought a guy in, uh, you know, from South Carolina as a defensive tackle um, you know, we got two, two offensive linemen from the transfer reporter from Vandy and Mississippi state. Uh, you know, we, we've, we also got a guy from old dominion Keon white that, you know, was, he was, they were projecting him as not just the group of five, but as far as the top 10 defensive tackle or defensive ends, I'm sorry, uh, in college football alone. So, you know, we've got a lot of guys that can now plug and play, and so now I think it's it's just a matter of, of getting those wins. And I don't see why we can't get to six, maybe to eight wins, maybe win a couple that we're not supposed to. Uh, but I definitely think we can get to that, that six, seven win mark uh, for next year and get bowl eligible, which I, I, I think we will. And then I think not just getting, kind of going off of 2021, going to 2022, I think 2022 is the year that I think everybody's kind of looking at the year that, you know, we – I think as far as some fans and maybe most fans are looking at where we kind of, we kind of take that huge leap and win nine, 10 ball games every year, which was what we all think Collins can do. Yeah. I like the, there's a lot of optimism in the Georgia tech fan base. I really love it. It um, love the positivity on my timeline, but um, we'll get to James from uh, NC state inside pack sports, and then we'll get to Hayden. Yeah, I think it's interesting, man. I think all of these teams, it's going to really boil down to what a lot of these seniors are going to do, right? We haven't talked about that on here, but with this new rule, you've got so many players that can return or and have a, a free year. So some of these programs, like maybe a Virginia, which I think we're starting a bunch of seniors defensively, or Pitt, you already mentioned it, getting Kenny Pickett back. They're going to have a chance, I think, to maybe exceed expectations. You know, I know I'm, I like Georgia Tech as well. Um, but but then you look at North Carolina, for instance, they've already lost Yami Brown, Michael Carter. It said he's not returning. Uh, Javante Williams may go pro. Daz Newsom's not returning. So, like, I think that's a team where even if you're returning Sam Howell, you may you may drop. You may take a, a dip just because you're losing so much production at some skill positions. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what a lot of the seniors do, and that'll probably tell the tale. And I say all the time, guys, I think the biggest thing is what's the schedule going to look like? You know, I, I talked about NC State earlier going eight and three. They got, a, they, you know, they got thrown on a lifeline not playing Clemson and Notre Dame. And so depending on how the schedule set up next year and, and different things like that, I think that allows certain teams to have better success than others. So I, I think it's wide open and this COVID rule is going to really impact things for a lot of teams. Another team I like is Wake Forest. You know, they, I feel like they're going to bring back a bunch of major contributors as well. I mean, I like their quarterback, really good receivers, love Kenneth Walker. So, I mean, I think several teams have a chance to really exceed expectations. Yeah, um, we'll end this off with Hayden from Miami. So real quick, Miami went eight and two this year. Um, 
I would probably say 100 of the 130 teams would beg to go eight and two. However, a lot of people feel that, you know, Miami is not that good. And they, they do have a really solid point. Miami's biggest games over the last, I would probably say, 11 years, they lose those big games. Um, historically, when Florida State was on the seven-game uh, win streak against Miami, the next two games that Miami played in usually lost. Um, I would probably say of the seven years, might have won two or three of those games. Um, looking forward to next year. Um, I, well, this year, obviously, um, Clemson was our biggest game in North Carolina, and we just got ran over both games. Um, next year, we open with Alabama. You already know. I don't have to say that's going to go. Um, however, we have Appalachian State the next week. App State has a sophomore running back, uh, Peoples, number six. I just watched him in the Murder Beach Bowl, and he ran all over North Texas. I also watched him run over Coastal Carolina in the first half, and then CCU figured it out in the second half. Um, biggest jump for Miami is how can they adjust after these big games? I mean, you got Alabama, and then after that, you got App State and Michigan State. You know, Michigan State's not really that great. However, those two non-conference games, I hate if you lose one of those, first of all, I'm just going to leave the chat. But how, how are they going to do after the Alabama game? And then looking at the conference schedule next year, um, I feel like NC State can, can contend with us really well. Um, at Florida State, the big rivalry, can Miami get five in a row? Florida State's going to be mad, really pissed off after losing, you know, 52-10. to 10. And then at Carolina, you know, I feel like Miami could probably – they should win nine games next year, um, but if they can get 10 or 11, just win one of those big games. Um, unfortunately, that big game is going to be against Alabama, and being realistic, I just don't see it happening. But Yeah, that's completely fair. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys all for coming on. Um, I think this was definitely great to have representation from around the ACC and, um, you know, get to talk various topics from it's it wasn't easy to get a person from every single team on but I think it was definitely beneficial we got a wide variety of voices on here so um yeah Hayden if King comes back Miami can win 10 I definitely agree with that point um but with that being said um thank you all for coming on um at the holidays coming up so enjoy stay healthy um stay safe and um as always, remember that the ACC just means a little bit less and um, go ACC.